It's Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about when um, a plan sponsor is fired for 401k, TPA takes things personally. Uh, favorite topic of mine, uh, touching upon one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, but of course, first things first, uh, we will be live, hopefully, on April the 8th in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, just talked to Larry, special guest, um, 2001 Diamondback World Series champion Reggie Sanders. Again, April the 8th is the date. However, we might push the date back in case there is no agreement between the players and the owners. We're not going to go to a baseball stadium with no baseball. So we'll see what happens. June the 24th, Miami, uh, Lone Depot Park. We'll talk about what we're going to have uh, in terms of a guest uh, very, very shortly. And, uh, and of course, um, you know, with COVID and with a Major League Baseball lockout, we're kind of, you know, in a holding pattern with some of the other events. But we will be in Charlotte in October uh, at Bank of America Stadium, October uh, 14th, I believe. Um, and then we'll see as, as to the other events. Um, and that 401k virtual bunch will return. I think I gave the wrong date of March the 14th, but it's March the 10th, I believe. Thursday, 3, I'm sorry, Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern. We're going to talk to somebody offering a new service that I think any TPA or advisor might be interested in, which deals with plan notices. So sign up for that. That's free. That 401k conference is not. It's 100 bucks. Uh, you know, get food, five hours, four and a half, five hours of um, talking to plan, 401k plan providers to learn how to grow your business, uh, hopefully a stadium tour and a meet and greet. Phoenix, we know it's going to be Reggie Sanders, and we don't know what's going to be Miami. I'm hoping for Andre Dawson, but uh, I don't know if our budget and Andre's budget fits, but we'll see what happens. Go to that 401ksake.com for further information. Uh, so when things, when 401k TPA takes things personally and, and, um, it's funny when I'm a big movie fan, uh, don't probably see as many movies as I used to when I was single. Uh, I remember, uh, I had one of those, uh, in law school, I lived in a dorm, which used to be an old nursing home. You knew that because it had like that switch to alert the nurse uh, right by the toilet. Um, I didn't, you know, didn't have, you know, that many people that I just hung out with, just watch a lot of movies. Close by to American University, I think the my second and my second year of law school, they opened up a Hollywood video, and Hollywood video, in terms of VHS rental, was a thousand light years beyond. Um, Blockbuster video they had a great selection, so you know you'd watch so many movies, um, a lot of '70s stuff. I would watch a lot of westerns and all that stuff. But I think the point is, is that when we come to favorite movies, uh, most of my favorite movies of all time are movies that I enjoyed as a kid. I think you know the the exceptions are maybe um, uh, Shawshank Redemption came out when I was 22. Goodfellas came out when I was 17. But aside from Airplane, Airplane is still my favorite movie of all time. It's been that way since I've been about eight. I'd say it's Airplane 1, maybe Fletch 2, or maybe Godfather 2. Uh, I mean, Godfather Part 1. I used to alternate whether I like Godfather Part 1, Part 2, and for a while I like Part 2 better. Now I think I, I like Part 1 better. 
just because, you know, uh, Marlon Brando and the transformation of Michael Corleone, which I think is one of the most significant character arcs um, in, in film history. You know, when we first see The Godfather, Michael is a, uh, you know, war hero, and then by the end of the movie, he's a mafia don. But a very important scene in that transformation is when Michael suggests to Sonny and Tom Hagen that he kills Virtual Salazzo, the Turk, and Captain McCluskey, who are the people who were behind the attempted assassination of his father, Don Vito Corleone. And, of course, Sonny and uh, Tom first laugh at him. Uh, you know, Sonny says, uh, for a college boy, you, you're taking things personally. And Michael says, you know, it's not personal, it's strictly business. And, you know, a lot of times in life, um, when you work, things don't bounce your way. Uh, that could be, you know, me flaming out at a law firm um, at, you know, Meyer Squaz English Klein in two years uh, with zero support and, you know, not bringing in the business that I thought I could if I got that support. Um, you know, did I take that personally? You know, I, I, I knew it was business. I think, you know, the, the dollars and cents, I think if you looked at dollars and cents, it made sense for them to move on. But did I take things personally? I, I mean, you know, uh, it reminds me of the movie Taken, where a guy says, you know, uh, to, uh, the Lee Meeson character, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was business. It wasn't personal. You know, when, you know, bringing his daughter and bringing her into like a white slavery slash prostitution ring. And Lee Meeson says, after he shoots him dead, it was personal to me. And um, unfortunately, in life, um, for a planned sponsor, there would be, you know, a situation where, uh, for one reason or another, a 401k plan sponsor has to fire the third party administrator. And, you know, it's usually business. It's not personal. But the problem is, is that 401k TPA owners may necessarily think, um, and uh, I've dealt with quite a few situations, and, and one that keeps on propping up that I keep on mentioning until the Department of Labor gives me a satisfa satisfactory answer about one in particular. But, you know, as an risk attorney, I've, I've dealt with over the last 20 some odd years of when TPAs take, thing, take things personally, and that's a problem. Because when you fire a TPA, a plant sponsor fires a TPA and hires a new one, there's an expectation that uh, the former TPA will act professionally and, 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 and help with the transition. And a lot of times it just doesn't happen. Um, I was a big fan of the TV show The Real World the first couple of seasons, probably the first two. Uh, New York and L.A., I, think, I don't think I watched San Francisco that much. But, uh, you know, they said in the, uh, the intro to the show, you know, uh, y'all get along until uh, things happen. Um, and uh, unfortunately, a, a TPA that was very um, uh, cooperative with a plan sponsor isn't anymore once they get fired. And I think the number one thing for a, a, a plan sponsor dealing with the TPA nonsense First thing first, the plan sponsor needs to realize why they're doing it. And there are many reasons why a TPA gets fired. You know, TPA that makes too many mistakes, uh, TPA that charges too much for, you know, lousy service. But, you know, it's important for a plan sponsor not to fire a TPA for the wrong reason. 
such as some, you know, such as what, what, what the advisor wants, you know, and I worked for TPAs for almost 10 years and, um, there'd be a situation where we developed a relationship with the advisor and the advisor decided that he wanted to move all the plans to us as TPA. Now it was great for us as a TPA, but was that really great for the plan sponsor? I don't know. I, 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 you know, to me, I don't like TPA moves. If I could avoid it, I don't, I don't change for the sake of changing. And uh, I, I think it's also important for a plan sponsor not to be passive aggressive and just fire TPA without giving them a chance to fix things if things are going wrong. Um, there may be a situation where the plan sponsor may be upset about the way they are treated by somebody in admin on the TPA side, and if they don't let the TPA know, then nothing can be fixed. So I think that um, you know they need to uh, let the the TPA know. Uh, the plan sponsor needs to let the TPA know as to why they're you know being terminated. If there's something that can be fixed, um, you know I always think that you should let people know how you feel, and if they ignore it. Well, that's when you when that's when you go. You know, I, I look at my situations. Um, I let people know. When I was a kid, I was very passive aggressive. When I was upset by something, I would just stew over it, stew over it, blow in and out of my mouth. You know, like you know, it, it just stew. And I realized um, as an adult that you have to let people know how you feel. And if they don't care, well, then you do something about it and then terminate them. But I always believe you should give them a chance. But, you know, changing TPAs isn't fun. Uh, a deconversion process isn't fun. Uh, it's a deconversion process by the old TPA and a new conversion process by the new TPA. And the period could take months and there could be uh, a lot of things that could go wrong with it. And it's not fun. And, uh, I, I, again, I, I say with all due respect, you know, it, it should be done – Changing TPA should be done for the right reasons and not for, you know, some nonsensical reason. Um, you know, developing a relationship with the bank that owns the TPA or uh, somebody's uh, somebody's relative or whatever it is. It, it's got to be for the right reasons. And before the plan sponsor fires them, they should, you know, go through the trouble of reading a contract. I don't like surprises. Never did. Um, you know, two kids... I knew ahead of time what they were going to be. It's one or the other. I don't understand the point of a surprise. Um, when you're about to, you know, when a plan sponsor is about to fire a TPA, um, it's important for them to read the contract. You know, look for the termination clause and any kind of notice that needs to be provided. Uh, failure to abide by the notice requirement may prolong the process. Um, plan sponsor doesn't get in their notice to, for a 1231 transition. It's going to have to be pushed back. I don't think that um, – I think it, it, it not only look to the contract for the notice requirement, I also think a plan sponsor shouldn't jump the gun. And that happens a lot where the plan sponsor ahead of time and without warning to the new TPA and the advisor, they would say, you know what, um, we're going uh, to fire you. And then that's when that old TPA decides to uh, – fire the plan sponsor and there may be kind of a period like a three-month adjustment where the plan would have no administrator uh, if nobody stepped up to the plate uh i think that you know uh, i'm a big fan of jim ross from aw wwe um announcing and to steal a line from him uh you should you shouldn't go into business for yourself 
and a plan sponsor should have a game plan with the new TPA, with the advisor, as to the process in place in order to make a seamless transition. Because they're going into business for themselves and letting the TPA, old TPA, know that they're going to get fired ahead of time, it could it, it could really screw up the process. Uh, and I think it's important for the plan sponsor to look at the costs that the TPA reserves the right to charge for a deconversion process. Hopefully that's something that's clear and easy to understand and experience is that uh, a lot of times it's not. I think the costs for the deconversion process should be spelled out in the agreement, either an estimate of fees or what the hourly charges are or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a specific dollar amount, but it has to be some – I believe I'm a big fan of transparency. I'm a big fan of what you see is what you get. That's why for most of my work as an ERISA attorney, um, I – tell the client ahead of time, I flat fee bill it. This is going to cost two grand. So they don't have that expectation um, that it costs one thing and then they get a bill that says it's two and a half to five times more. Um, I think that plan sponsors really need that cost certainty to determine whether change to a new TPA is cost effective. So if the charges are going to be like ten, twenty, five thousand dollars to deconvert a plan, uh, it may not be worthwhile to, to make that switch. Um, or if there are surrender charges or whatever it may be, uh, that needs to be you know ascertained before uh, the move is made. Because um, remember, a TPA has a um, TPA. I mean, a plan sponsor has a fiduciary duty to pay only reasonable plan expenses. And how can a plan sponsor know that when they don't know what the termination fees or the deconversion fees are for changing TPAs? Um, you know, a lot of times. Uh, Again, the former TPA takes things personally, and um, they just use that deconversion process as a punitive measure. So I suggest reaching out to Marissa Council, which is where I should, you know, uh, cough uh, and, and you know let them know, um, you know, whether these fees are outrageous or not. What could be, uh, what has to be paid, and what has to be not, you know. And I've been very lucky with former, you know, th this process. Uh, it's only one time that I wasn't which we'll discuss in a few moments. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the conversion process without any spelled out fees or a guesstimate of fees is an opportunity for a former TPA to punish a plan sponsor for simply firing them. And, you know, I've been fired before as a risk attorney. It happens. Uh, you know, a company changes hands and they don't want to hire, they don't want to use an risk attorney. I don't take things personally and give them a bill for five grand. Uh, for work I didn't do, um, and, and I think it's important. But uh, when it comes to it, plan sponsors really need to pay what they owe. Uh, over COVID, uh, over the 2020 summer, I quit my last synagogue. I, I, I was like the wandering Jew. I kept on moving from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue. This synagogue, you know, uh, was there four or five years this was after I was a VP of another synagogue. My two kids were bar mitzvah at that synagogue, but, you know, I just didn't feel welcome there. Um, it was just like a click. And with COVID, I knew that they were not doing in-person events, so, you know, I, I, I quit. But I quit by paying off what I owed. Um, you know, for the first time on leaving a synagogue, I felt like I left like a mensch, which is... Uh, a good human being 
a good, decent man. I paid what I owed, and I left with my head up high. They couldn't say that Ari and his wife uh, left, uh, and they, they welched on their dues and all that stuff. I think it's important for a planned sponsor for the same reason, to pay off the TPA on what they owe. It, it's only fair. It's only fair to the uh, TPA, and I think it's... Uh, like I always say, don't be the a-hole. And I think it's important for the plan sponsor to pay what's contractually owed, and, and that's it. Um, but on the flip side, I don't think plan sponsors should pay for you know what they already paid for. Um, when I was a kid and, and my parents were buying cars, I don't know. It's just a different process when I was a kid. Um, I, I just think... I, I saw a lot more upselling when I was a kid. I, I think it's more straightforward now. Um, and, I, and I'm thinking uh, my car, my Prius V is going to be almost 10 years old uh, by the end of 2022. And I think, you know, probably 2023 I'll get a new vehicle. I've already got in mind what I want. But I'm going to dread going to the car dealership. But as a kid, they used to you know, sell you stuff you didn't need. I mean, uh, etched glass, you know, on, uh, they would put a serial number on your glass windows and crap like that. And, uh, you know, undercoating at GM cars is to pay for like some kind of undercoating and all that stuff. And I, I think the internet and, uh, you know, the, the passing information has kind of made it easier, um, more transparent. And, uh, I think a big scam in the retirement plan business is when a TPA collects a fee for which, you know, collects a fee for the second time for what they've already been paid for. And, um, and I, I think that, you know, TPAs get, get, get away with it because, you know, plan sponsors are marks when they don't have the background to be sophisticated in the retirement plan space. Uh, and, you know, uh, an unethical TPA sees, you know, plan sponsors as rubes, as marks. And, uh, it's important for plan sponsors with the use of ERISA counsel to make sure that they're not paying for a fee twice. Um, I, I think that the problem I see most of the time is that 1231 termination. 1231 termination, the question is, who does the 5500 and the valuation for the following July or October? Um, the former TPA is not going to want to do the work a lot of times. And I've had it. And that's talking about that one time where um, that, you know, fired TPA just wouldn't budge uh, on, on charging extravagant fees for um, the uh, for the plan sponsor. So um, usually in the 401k space, uh, charges, you know, could be, you know, per capita, per head, whatever it may be, it could be an asset-based fee, but it's really done on an annual basis if you think about it. And when you hire a TPA for an annual basis, stands to reason you're going to pay for that 5,500 and the valuation for that year. So if I contract with a TPA till 12/31/2022, it stands to reason in the contract that. TPA, even though they're getting fired 1231-2022, is going to do what they, you know, is going to do the work for what they've already paid, got paid for, which is the annual 5500 and the valuation. 
And uh, that's what should happen. And, and a lot of times the plan sponsor doesn't realize that the old TPA was contracted and paid for to do that work. And there's always a question sometimes uh, of who's going to do the work, the new TPA who wants to be compensated for it because that wasn't part of the original contract or the former TPA. So I had that situation, which I've talked about a lot, where, you know, working with a plan, working on a plan, a $110 million um, a multiple employer plan, the old TPA was canned as of 228-2021. Contract talked about an annual services. Contract talked about a 5,500 valuation. And the uh, TPA said, no, we're not going to do it. Not only we're not going to do it, uh, if we want us to do it, you're going to pay us $80,000. And on top of that, we're going to charge you thirteen thousand dollars in conversion fees. Nowhere in their contract did it talk about you know specificity and on how much the conversion process would be. That was one thing. But what was insulting to me was, as the ERISA attorney, I thought that they should have shown. I, I wouldn't say respect, but I would realize that uh, you know. Do you know who you're dealing with? You know, the, you ever hear that kind of line? Do you know who you're dealing with? Uh, you're dealing with me. And there is no way. I'm stubborn, and I'm telling you, if a plan is paying $130,000 um, in annual fees to a TPA, the TPA cannot give me a bill to do a valuation and a $5,500 for $80,000. And I really wanted to tell them to steal a line from the movie Casino. Next time, bring a gun. You have a better chance of getting away with it because there was no way I was going to let the plan pay $80,000 uh, in fees. And, you know, needless to say, this is all up to the Department of Labor to figure it out. Next, um, it's important that the plan sponsor realizes that if they are going to pay for deconversion fees, that they have to make sure the old TPA cooperates with the new one. Um, again, most TPAs do reserve that right to charge for deconversion fees. Uh, and... Um, if the plan sponsor is paying these fees, uh, it's up to the plan sponsor to make sure that the TPA is is cooperating with the new TPA and doing the work as part of the deconversion process. Deconversion process and the ensuing conversion process isn't fun. It's difficult. So it's important for the plan sponsor to make sure that there is a level of cooperation between the old TPA and the new TPA. Last but not least, uh, who are you going to call if uh, the plan sponsor has problems with uh, the t fire TPA? Well, it's not going to be Ghostbusters. It's going to be the Department of Labor. Uh, as an ERISA attorney, I've had, a, I've, I've had to help a lot of plan sponsors in this predicament. Um, and um, needless to say, 99 out of 100 times, if you just mouth the words, mouth the initials, DOL, that gets the TPA to, to the thinking. And, and unfortunately, in that situation back in Florida with the TPA, they wanted to charge to plan 80 grand to do a 5,500 valuation. That was the only time where it didn't work. Um, you know, TPA was out of their minds. You know, narcissism does that to some, some people. And uh, working with ERISA counsel, working with the Department of Labor or threatening to work with the Department of Labor, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a good threat to report the TPA to the DOL, and I think it's got to be worded in a way where it doesn't look like blackmail. Um, and with that situation in Florida, 
when the TPA wouldn't budge, I said, you know what? You We have a dispute here. We're at an impasse. Let's the Department of Labor figure it out on who's right and who's wrong. And that's what got the TPA to flip out. Uh, saying I, I, I tried to blackmail. I, listen, I, I know what blackmail is. Don't make threats. You can't keep. And I, I don't make threats. I, I make promises. Um, and I think it's important for plan sponsors to um, to, to, to do that, uh, to use that DOL card uh, as a, a get out of jail or, or get out of paying uh, or get out of dealing with an uncooperative TPA is using that DOL card. And it's an important card for them to have. And again, I think it's important for the plan sponsor to hire us a counsel to get them out of this predicament. Well, uh, that's it for this episode of that 401k podcast. I hope you enjoyed it uh, as I enjoyed, you know, speaking. Uh, and of course, go to that 401 for further information on all our live events. Take care. Bye.